All right. I, I don't know if you guys, I know, you know, there's a lot of discussions going on right now. I'm not going to get into a debate, but um, science can do an amazing things. Um, sometimes they forget that God's the one that created science, but science can do some amazing things. Uh, when you, grew, you and I were growing up, we'd see the rainbow. And I hope you're teaching your children and your grandchildren what the rainbow really means. Everybody knows what it is, right? It's a covenant. God put the rainbow in the sky as a covenant. And we know chemically what, what creates the lights and what does all that. We understand that. But the rainbow was put in the heavens so that every time we would see the rainbow, we would remember what? Never flood the earth again. It's a covenant that God made with Noah. And he said, from now, for the rest of time, this will be a covenant that every time you see a rainbow, it's a reminder that God keeps his word. It's amazing how science can pervert that story, but there it is for you. All right, There's the message of, of the rainbow. But science has found out how to weigh rainbows. This is crazy. When we were kids, we were looking for the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, right? That's what we were taught. Anybody seen this science work they're doing? They're working on how to weigh a rainbow. They're, they haven't got the exact calibrations yet, but they do know that it's pretty light. Now listen. Last night there were people after the service still like asking me to explain that. So would you help the person beside you? Just help each other out. Pretty light. Okay. All right. Moving on. All right. I want to read a statement off the screen. If you agree, I'm going to ask you to read it with me. The church does not determine what the Bible teaches. It is the Bible that determines what the church must teach. You agree with that? All right. We live in a culture, and again, uh, if you read Acts chapter 20, Paul has one concern about the church. So this is crazy. Paul sometimes would be in a town for a weekend, a couple of weekends, a month. He stayed three and a half years in Ephesus. Three and a half years of Paul's life was spent with one church. Now, it's a church that will end up having 50,000 members and impacting the world, but he stayed there for three and a half years. And when he left, he told the elders of the church, he said, when I leave, fierce wolves will come up inside the church and they will pervert the word of God and they will do everything they can to destroy the church. It is imperative that we understand the authority is never a pastor, never a denomination, never a building. The authority is the Word of God. Is that? Can I get an amen? amen? All right, then let's read this together. All right, and you can share this with some of your friends. Let's do it. Let's do it together. No, go back to this to the statement, please. There we go. The church does not determine what the Bible teaches. It is the Bible that determines what the church must teach. I could let you go home, but not yet. All right. So here's the, here's the turn on that. Here's Lawrence O'Donnell. All right. I put this guy up here. He's from MSNBC. All right. I have thoughts, but I'll keep those to myself. This is his quote. No half smart. Okay. So you don't even get to be smart. You're only half smart because you came to church today. All right, you, you get no credit at all. No half-smart religious person 
actually believes in the book of Revelation. No half smart. Now here's the deal. One of us is wrong. Me, Lawrence O'Donnell. One of us is wrong. You get to decide. Isn't it great to be an American? You get to decide. He's welcome to his opinion. I'm welcome to my opinion. But one day he'll be crying out as he watches the book of Revelation unfold. Because it's not a matter whether I believe it, don't believe it, whether I'm okay with it, not okay with it. I'm not in charge of it. God is. And the word was given to us for us to follow, not for us to manipulate. So if you'll stand out of respect for God's word, this, this message uh, is called Watch Your Mouth. And my mom, my mom would tell me that once. I know new parenting suggests you tell people things 30 or 40 times. Uh, my mom was once and then, well, fly swatters and sticks and limbs and hands and not in favor of hurting anyone. I'm just telling you the truth. And we ate soap. And there was no liquid soap. Can I, am I right? If you've never had a bite of ivory, you don't know what discipline is. My mom would only tell me to watch my mouth once and then it was soap time. And you know what? That probably stopped when I was five and there's still memories. There's still memories. I can, there's still a little soap right back in there. Watch your mouth. So when God says, woe, we've talked before, we're not stopping a horse. It means look out. Woe to you. Look out. Look out for anyone who quarrels with his maker. To him who is but a potsherd among the potsherds on the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does your work say he has no hands? Woe to him who says to his father... What have you forgotten? Or to his mother, what have you brought to birth? This is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel and its maker, concerning things to come. Do you question me about my children or give me orders about the work of my hands? It is I who made the earth and created mankind upon it. My own hands stretched out the heavens. I marshaled the starry host. I will raise up Cyrus in my righteousness. I will make all his ways straight. He will rebuild my city and set my exiles free, but not for a price or a reward, says the Lord Almighty. You can be seated. <clears throat> all right, so some strong advice about the Word of God. First piece of advice, don't argue with God. Now, that does not mean that I can't have debates with God in my prayer time, in your prayer time. That there aren't times that we get upset at God, that we're crying out to God, God, why did you let this happen? Why is this happening? Why am I going through this suffering? Why this divorce? Why did this person have to die? Why am I going through this pain? Why, why am I going through this financial situation? That crying out and asking and, and wondering is very different from saying, God, you have no idea what you're doing doing. That's what's going on here. The people of Israel have checked out and they have said to God, the only conversation we want to have with you is to tell you how wrong you are and to let you know that you have lost your way. It's a very dangerous place to be. And he said, look out when you begin to think you're bigger than God, because God has a plan. Would everybody agree with that? Now, 
Do I like everything in the plan? I do not. There are things that I ask God about on a regular basis. Why do you let this happen? Why do you let that happen? And oftentimes he'll ask me, I don't know, why do you let that happen? And that, those are tough questions to handle because there's some things that are so big that we can't do anything about it. It's okay. When you're praying, you're debating with God, you're having those, those tough conversations. But what the people of Israel has done, they've got to the point where they say, I know better than God, therefore I will do what I want to do. Does that sound like a culture that you know? See, when you get so progressive that you think we are smarter than God, God's word needs to go back on the shelf, will define morality, will define right and wrong, then you are putting yourself in a very dangerous place. I'll show you what I mean by arguing with God. All right. If you're a sports person, all right, doesn't matter. Baseball, football, hockey, soccer. There's always these guys wearing stripes with guys that have a whistle or some other some other way to let you know what's going on. Have you ever seen an umpire? Let's use baseball because I like it. Have you ever seen an umpire change his mind? Maybe if, maybe if I use three more F words, he'll change his mind. Have you ever seen an umpire go, you know what? That was just the right cuss word. You're right. He was safe. Doesn't happen, does it? You can go on YouTube and you can watch. You can watch great footage of all these ejections, little league ejections, college ejections, major league ejections. To me, soccer's got the greatest thing, all right? And I don't even like soccer. But the fact that when the referee's had enough of you, he just pulls a red card out of his pocket and you're gone. It's that, it's that see you, pal. Uh, and that's the way it is when we start arguing with God. Do you really think you're going to change God's mind? No. God, God is working all things together for his good. I don't like some of those things. You probably don't like some of those things. There's a lot of suffering along the road sometimes. But when I look back at history and I look at all that the Christians have been through, all the persecution, all of the arrest, all of the beatings, all of the killings, and yet the church still moves on because people dare to live boldly for God's vision, even if they don't fully understand what's happening at the moment. And that's the hardest part. That's the hardest part. When I was in third grade, I didn't know what was going to happen when I was in college. But God did. God knew that there was a plan working through. And so sometimes we cannot see the end. So when we're in the middle and everything looks bad and it looks confusing and God, I don't get it right now, does not mean God's not at work. He's worked the whole thing already out. We just have to work our way through it. Philippians 2.14, do everything without complaining or arguing. <laughs> I hate verses like this. Now, here's what's going to happen. Somebody's going to send me an email. I can't believe you hate the word of God. I've gotten them. No. Do you like that verse? Do everything without complaining or arguing. Maybe there's two or three of you out there like, man, that's me. I never have a crossword. No. You know why Paul wrote that? Because we needed to hear it. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Well, but God, I don't like this. Yeah, I know. But we'll get through this. But God, this doesn't seem fair. I know that. But we'll get through this. God is working through things on our behalf. 
Let me, let me tell you, this is kind of, it kind of goes with what we're talking about, and it's sort of my creation moment at the same time. I don't know if you knew this or not. If you did, I don't know why you didn't tell me, and that upsets me. But a rattlesnake can bite a sheep. Does anybody know this story? A rattlesnake will, will bite a sheep like everything else it bites, thinking that they will kill the sheep, and they'll be able to eat the sheep. They'll be able to feast. But when the rattlesnake bites a lamb, does anybody know what happens? Nothing. The sheep will swell up from the poison, but the sheep will go on with its life. The sheep will eat, the sheep will drink, it'll be in pain for a couple of days, and after two days, all the pain goes away. Did you know that? It'll kill you, kill me. You know how they make anti-venom? They take the venom from the snake, they milk the snake, they mix it with lamb's blood, and they, when they give, you get bit by a rattlesnake, they give you an injection of that, and the blood of the lamb turns around the poison of the snake. Tell me the odds of that. Here's what John the Baptist said, Behold the Son of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They, now, they, now, don't again, don't email me. They use, I looked it up. They use other animals. There are other animals they will use, but they will tell you that the sheep is the best one to use because they get the most effective anti-venom by using sheep blood, mixing it with the poison, and it protects all of us. Now, what are the odds of that? Would anybody like to help me with that? Is that not crazy? 1 Corinthians 3.3, you are still worldly. For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? Why is there quarreling amongst you? Whether we're talking about a church, a business, a marriage. Because we're above that. Not that we don't have problems. Not that there aren't times that, that we go head to head with things. But overall, because we are not mere men, we are Christians. We are bought with a price. We know there's a higher calling than this earth. We don't spend our time complaining and griping to God or to each other. There's too much to be done for good. Can I get an amen? Secondly, he says, you got to remember who you are. Now, this is most of the passage, okay? He says, he uses the example of, of a potter and clay. And he said, will the potsherd, speaking to other potsherds, that would be me speaking to you, say that there is no potter? If you know anything about archaeology, we spend most of our time playing with little pieces of clay pots because that's what's left. Cooking pots, water pots, uh, food storage pots, the clay pots, through the years, they all have their own design. They were heated differently. And so we can date periods of time based off of the pot sherds, the little pieces that we find. And he says, so one of you little pot sherds is going to speak to other pot sherds, and you're going to try to convince them that there never was a potter. The son will come to his dad and say, Dad, did you have any children? The son will go to his mother and say, Mom, did you ever have any kids? Do you see the foolishness in what he's illustrating here? He's saying, and then you would dare to think that I don't exist? You see, it's, it's a 2,700-year-old message on what we're dealing with in our culture today when people walk around and believe that they created themselves. 
or that science created them, or that we are just a, a, a group of atoms that were put together. He said, no, remember that you are but clay. How did God create Adam? The dust of the earth. God took the dirt in the ground, he put it up together, he breathed into Adam, and Adam became a life-breathing man. Either you believe that, or you believe you are a creation of random process. If you are a creation of random process, let me tell you what happens when you teach that in school for 60 years. You have shootings everywhere, stabbings everywhere, you have a culture that's out of control, you steal whatever you want, because after all, we're just a product of chance, and what difference does it make? But if I am a divine creation, I'm made exactly the way God wanted me to be made. I speak the way he wants me to speak. I look the way he wants me to look. What, whatever you're dealing with, when you understand, look, God put it together this way, I owe him everything. That's, that's the whole point. He said, don't forget who you are. Well, who am I? Well, I am clay, so there's, there's a limit to who I am. But I'm also created by a God who specially loved me and made you and me in his image. And then when we messed up his image, he sent Jesus into the world to die for us, raised from the dead, so that we could find a cleansing again and become like him in heaven. That's the hope that we have. Am I right? That is the hope that we have. So what am I supposed to remember? God said, again, look around. Would, would a child say to his father, have you ever had any children? Do you see how ridiculous and absurd this is? It's exactly what God is trying to get across. How crazy can you people be? It's like two cookies laying on a cookie tray saying, I don't believe that there was a baker. I believe we made ourselves. That's what we try to say when we try to cut God, the creator, out of our lives. So who am I? Who are you? Genesis 1.26 says that we were made in what? The very image of God. A special gift. After he'd finished all the other creation, then he made us in his image. We should rejoice in that. Let me, let me tell you something about, like, let's go to the stars for a second. Let's talk about, if you don't know where you live, you live in the Milky Way galaxy. That's way down at the very end of your address. If you were working at, if you look up in the night sky, you can see billions of stars. Most of those stars are hundreds of times the size of the earth. And that's all just in the Milky Way galaxy. And then there are other galaxies that have billions and billions of stars. But here's the deal. If, if the Big Bang happened, or we'll, we'll go either way, okay? If God spoke and it all came into being, or if there was a Big Bang, there was a beginning. We agree with that? All right? All right, so if you believe in the Big Bang, watch this. Boom, everything's going to go where? If I, if, I, if I blow up a firecracker, is it going to blow out or is it going to blow in? If I put a firecracker in your hand and I light it and it blows up, is it going to blow up inside itself or is it going to blow your hand off? It's going to blow out. So if the Big Bang happened, everything, right? Problem. The Andromeda galaxy, here it is. 
billions of stars, got its own sun, got its own planets, everything going on. All of the galaxies in the universe are going out, except the Andromeda galaxy that is coming right toward us. How do you explain that? If you're an evolutionist, how do you explain that one galaxy is going the wrong way? Psalm 19.1, David said, the heavens declare the glory of God. See, if, if there was an explosion, you, you would not expect the firecracker to blow up internally. You would expect it to blow out. They have no answer. You won't hear an evolutionist talk about this topic because they have no answer to explain why one universe runs in the opposite direction. However, you know what it says here in Isaiah? Go down and look at where he talks about the stars. He says, I have marshaled the starry host, verse 12. With my own hands, I stretched out the heavens and I marshaled the starry host. I looked up that word marshaled because I didn't know what it meant. The Hebrew word there is that God says, I am in control of each and every star and it does exactly what I want it to do. Evolutionists cannot explain that one. So who am I? Who are you? We are created. The creation should always give honor and worship to the creator. Does that make sense? Especially a creator who died for us, but never gets so uptight that you believe that all of a sudden who you are is so important that now you can become God. I finally figured this out this week. It takes me a while. Because I watch certain people. You, know, you see the guy in North Korea. You see what he's doing. Uh, but there's, there's those kind of people everywhere. You think, well, the, you used to look at the, the old guys, you think, well, what did Alexander the Great think he was going to do when he conquered the whole world? What are you going to do with it? Put it in a basket? I mean, what do you do with it? What did Genghis Khan think he was going to do when he conquered the whole world? What did the Romans think they were going to do when they conquered the whole world? But there are people out there today, even in this room, that still have that mindset. Maybe you're not trying to take over the world, just enough of it that you can buy yourself all the comfort and protection that you think you need. Instead of understanding, you know what? I'm made in the image of God. He's got me. My job is to surrender to him. But man, do we get mouthy. And, and I know it's the new thing. You treat God, you know, it's almost like treating him like a grandfather, but we, we forget that he is almighty. He is all holy. If you think you're going to run into an old man with a beard, you seriously do not understand the power of the almighty God. The one who spoke and put things into place, stretched out the heavens, told the stars where to go, created us. You, you think his power has diminished? You ain't seen nothing yet. And in spite of Mr. O'Donnell, the book of Revelation will unfold exactly as it's written. And then we get to the last part. And the last part of this is never underestimate God. And I think we're all pretty good at that. Um, Several times this week, we've had some miraculous things happen. And sometimes we don't have miraculous things happen. And that's difficult. I can't explain why. I can't explain to you why some people live and some people don't. Why it's some people's time and not other people's times. But every time God answers our prayers, we act surprised. Well, I, I prayed for, for healing, but I never thought it would happen. Well, what were you praying for? Well, I prayed for, I, I, I prayed for this, but I never thought that would happen. 
You know, in Ephesians 3.20, it says God can do immeasurably more than you and I could ever ask, imagine, or think. Immeasurably, it means you can't measure it. Immeasurably more than you and I could ever ask, imagine, or think. Are you in a spot right now where you could use some of that God? I, I would guess so. Probably a lot of you. Dealing with marriage, divorce, dealing with finances, dealing with maybe COVID's not even on your radar. You've got so many other problems, that's the least of your concerns. But I'm going to tell you a verse that I've used to hang on to through a lot of hurt in my life. It's Luke 137. All right, we've been through this before, but the archangel Gabriel says nothing is impossible with God. And it's important that you get the context of this because Gabriel is created. He's an angel, but Gabriel was there and watched God create the universe. Gabriel was there and he watched all of history unfold. Gabriel was there and watched creation. It is Gabriel that is quoted there, and he says, nothing is impossible with God. So I don't know what wall you're up against, but I know this, it starts with Jesus. If you've not accepted Jesus, this is where it has to start. You've got to accept Jesus as your Savior. Believing that he died, he rose from the dead. There'll be people over here to help you. If you're online, hit the button. I have decided. People will help you answer your questions. Uh, David will help you. Ben will help you. If you just need prayer, I've talked to so many people this week, just need somebody to pray with him. Come over here. Prayer team will be here. Uh, they're here to help you in any way possible. But I want to finish with this story. This is a, this is a picture of Freddie Freeman. I hate to tell a brave story, but I'm, in honor of Ed Marshall today, I will tell this story. Freddie Freeman is the first baseman for the Atlanta Braves. And this is a picture of Freddie and his little son. And early in the year, Freddie was not doing well. He was hitting 220. And he said to his dad, he said, Dad, you've got to pick it up. He said, if you don't start playing better, you're not going to make it to the All-Star game. And if you don't make it to the All-Star game, I don't get to meet my hero, Fernando Tatis Jr. <laughs> Fernando plays for the San Diego Padres. And everybody knew that Fernando would be at the All-Star game. And Freddie looked at his son and he said, so the only reason you want dad to play better is so that you can meet Fernando Tatis? He said, absolutely. And there's a great picture of Fernando hugging his little Freddie's little boy and giving him an autographed jersey at the All-Star game. It's really cool. But here's why I tell you that story. You and I have children that need to know Jesus. We have grandchildren that need to know Jesus. Great-grandchildren that need to know Jesus. We have neighbors and friends that need to know Jesus. And way too many of us are hitting 220. And I'm challenging you and challenging me today that it's time. It's time that we do better. We dig deeper. We're more faithful. We, we desire to be more faithful to God, to get under His authority, to follow His Word, not just talk about it, but to truly get serious about it and not say, my 220 is good enough. Because there's a lot of other people counting on us to introduce them to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for the hope that we have. <clears throat> For some, it's the first time they've heard about a God who loves them and that died for them. 
For others, it's well known. And it's a reminder for us to hold on. And not only hold on to get through another season of life, but to help somebody else find you. To help someone else connect with you. Lord, my words can't do anything to move anybody. Only your Holy Spirit can move people. So, Lord, I ask you to draw all men, all women. You said if we lifted up the cross, you would draw them. So I ask you to draw people to the cross now. In Jesus' name, amen.